Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome once again to the Digital Cathedral coming to you out of Houston, Texas. Hope you're having a wonderful July 14th, 2019. Hard to believe, man. This is uh, The year is slipping by, and uh, have you noticed the older you get, the faster time goes? I don't know why that is. When you're, when you're in elementary school and there's uh, five weeks left of school till summer break, that five weeks seems like it lasts forever, but... As you get older, time just slips away, and we're already into July. It's going to be 2020 before you know it, and I'm, I would imagine next year we're going to hear a lot of uh, teachings on good sight or having perfect sight in the year 2020. That's kind of a natural setup, isn't it? If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to open up with verses 26 to 31. Now, let me give a little caveat before I start this morning. You might have noticed that the title of the message today is, uh, is, of the teaching is Grace for Losers. And when that title came to me, I kind of I balked at it because to put grace and loser together is an oxymoron. Matter of fact, I don't like that term loser at all uh, because none of us are losers, right? But the fact of the matter is many people see themselves in that light. They see themselves as being a loser in life. And generally that label has come to them from somebody else or it's risen up in their mind because they have made mistakes and failures and life uh, is not going as well as they would hoped it would have gone. So I felt internally, and I, I, I played around with other words and I said, Lord, give me another word for loser, but I couldn't get away from the loser thing. So please understand this morning when I'm talking about grace for losers, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, I'm just using a generic term that the world uses. And sometimes even in, in the church, we use that when we look at people and we just think, man, they're a loser. So grace and loser don't go together, but grace has a solution and an answer to every person that feels like they have not hit the mark in life. So this morning, I, I want to speak to those people that feel like they have made such a mess of their life. They have made so many wrong decisions and wrong choices that absolutely, there's just no use in trying anymore. Seems like every time we try something, it doesn't work or it goes against us. So maybe you feel unworthy. You feel like you've been discounted or as some people would say, you feel like a loser and you see absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel. And if there were to ever be a light at the end of the tunnel, it would be a, a train that's coming at you. Know what I mean? Like the only thing that's going to happen in life is going to be a train wreck. So let, let's look at what uh, Paul said. And I think there's some real insight uh, in this, in this first chapter of Corinthians in verse 26. And let me read down through verse 31. So excuse me for using the term loser. Forgive me. It's just, I, I feel the unction on that, on that phrase. So we're going to talk this morning about how God's grace works in the life of those that look at themselves or others have looked at them and have put a false identity on them of being what the world would call a loser, okay? In verse 26, Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty and not many noble are called. Well, I kind of like that because now I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about me, right? Because I, I'm not the wise, I'm not the mighty, and I'm certainly not the noble, now God begins to bring us into this circle. He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things or the 
insignificant, a, a better word maybe for base would be insignificant or lowly. So God has chosen those lowly things, those insignificant things or people uh, to bring to naught the things which, which seem mighty and the things of the world which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And now why, why has he done that? Why has he done all of the choosing of the insignificant, the lowly? Uh, why has God, we're going to see from scripture how God always, it's his pattern to pick out those people that have blown it. You know, that we might look at and say, that guy's a loser. God has picked those people, and Paul's verifying it here in the Scripture. Why does God do that? Why, does God, why maybe have you come this far in life, and it's been a divine setup? You've looked at your life, and you've said, you know what? I'm not where I want to be. I'm not, I'm not where I think I should be for my age or my education or my family background, whatever. Why has God done that? And it says in verse 29, so that no flesh could glory in his presence. So that nobody can get the credit for whatever it is that they've done. And that's just what the mighty, the noble, uh, the strong, the smart, the intelligent, the fastest, they do take the credit, right? So God goes through this systematic plan, as we're going to see in Scripture, and he brings us down to a position. He doesn't want us to take a false identity, which we'll uncover in a few minutes, but he doesn't want any flesh to glory in his presence. But it says in verse 30, now listen to this. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus. But of him, he has made you in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus for us, our, our righteousness, our sanctification, our wisdom, our redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, you might be sitting here in the digital cathedral this morning and you, you say, well, I, you know, that really doesn't fit to me. My life's been pretty normal. It's been pretty straight up. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm fulfilled. Wonderful. Wonderful. If that's not you this morning, then you need to pay special attention to what I'm, I'm teaching today because you are going to be ministering grace and reconciliation and true identity to a lot of people that fit that niche in life that we're talking about today, who have, who have deemed themselves, for whatever reason, have deemed themselves to be a loser in life. People that have made poor choices. And when people make poor choices, religion is quick to kick them to the curb and to write them off. So if, if, that's, if I'm not talking to you this morning specifically, I want you to pay particular attention because I will assure you, you're going to deal with a lot of people as people come in and begin to get a little bit of revelation of the message that we teach here at the Digital Cathedral. People begin to get a little bit of a revelation of it. You're going to encounter people that have been kicked to the curb. You're going to uh, uh, encounter people that have felt they have made so many bad choices and decisions in life that there's, there's nothing left for them. That they have reached the end of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's mercy. And you're going to be able to come in. And, and awaken them, begin to reveal to them a, a father, not a judicial deity. You're going to begin to assign to them uh, a right identity, and you're going to begin to show them a path that will lead them to true freedom. Now, let me, let me just make this personal for just a minute. All right, let me ask you today. Have you ever made a bad mistake, a poor decision, I mean, of such 
that your life is totally screwed up. That, you're, that, 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 it, it, that there seems to be no way out of it. And that recovery for you seems to be impossible. Uh, maybe like this, like you, you wake up one day and find yourself in jail. I've never been in jail, but I know people that have. Maybe you're sitting at the abortion clinic when the, when the procedure has been done. Or, or you're looking at the judge in a divorce court. Or your business has gone bankrupt because you have been foolish in the way that you have run your business. Or maybe you have followed the wrong people. And now you're involved in things that go so deep that this, it may cost your life. You're asking yourself this morning, how did my life spin out of control? How did, how did I end up where I'm at this morning? How, how did I hit this downward level of such a total disaster? Maybe it's not quite that serious. Maybe, maybe it's not life-threatening. Maybe it's more like this. Maybe you feel like you picked the wrong college or the wrong course of study. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in the wrong job, the wrong position, or you're living in the wrong city. Life is nothing like I envisioned it. I had a, I had a plan for my life that we would, I would be married and have three children in a house with a picket fence around it. And, it's nothing, and I'm at a place now where it's nothing like I thought it would be. I can assure you this morning that if you're human, you have made some bad choices and some bad decisions. And that is where the grace of God is activated, where you have made bad choices. Where you look at your life and say, this is where I've really messed up. This is where God's divine influence begins to produce an effortless change that, be, that starts to work. What you have looked at as negative circumstances, it begins to work them out to your favor, to such an and I'm going to probably say this four or five times this morning because I want to emphasize it. His grace and his favor works to your life in such an extent that, listen, Jesus never looked at any person. He never looked at one person and said, you have missed my will for your life. In fact, it's at that low point that many of us wake up and we begin to discover that we, at that point, at the lowest point, that we are actually in the very center of His will. As we read this morning in Scripture, it's at that point where His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Or, as Paul said in that, cha in that chapter from 1 Corinthians that we read, that no flesh can glory in His presence. So you begin to look back at your situation. If you get a revelation of what I'm talking about this morning and you'll receive what I'm saying this morning, you can see now how his strength is beginning to work. You've come to the end of your strength and his strength is now being perfected in your weakness. I was thinking the other day about David and the army that David assembled. David assembled probably the greatest fighting military machine on the planet at that time. I mean, they were an indestructible force. And uh, they were a very unique army. And I want, to, I want you to look at the army that God assembled. I'm, I'm going to read a, a passage. Believe it or not, I'm going to read a passage from the Old, Old Covenant. I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. And I want you just to get a look at this army that, that David assembled, that God brought to him. I mean, this, this is a mighty military force right here. These... These men were indestructible. It says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, and David's on the run. And God begins to work in, in David's life. If there's a guy that never hit a low point time and 
after time, it was David. If there was ever a man that could, would have said, you know what, I have screwed up so many times that I'm sure God looks at me and says, this guy's a loser, that I can never use him again. Yeah, you know what God said about David? He said, there's a man that's after my own heart. Whatever it is this morning, you be a person that's after God's heart, no matter what your circumstances seem to want to dictate to you or you feel labeled by the church or by the world or people you work with or your family, whatever it is, his strength is being perfected in your weakness. Now look at this army that was assembled. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to see David. Now watch verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, number one, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, <laughs> they gathered themselves to him. So he became captain over them, and there was about 400 men. Now let me just ask you a question this morning. Do you think that's the kind of, do you think that's the kind of group that you would have brought together to assemble the greatest army on the planet group? Guys that were in debt, discontented, uh, uh, they, were, they were failures. All of these guys began to be attracted to David. Well, let me just correlate it to today. God, God as a father today, is assembling a grace family, a grace army, if you will that knows how to reflect their true identity apart from labels. They know that they're the image and the likeness of the creator himself as unveiled by Jesus. And he once again is using as with David. He is using, look, I'm, I want to encourage you this morning. He is using the nobodies. He's using the disqualified. Those that, by, that, that religion have set aside and said, we, you, can't, you can't be a deacon in our church. You can't be a pastor. You can't be a leader because your life is full of sin. It's full of misfortune. It's full of failure. He is calling the burned out, the discouraged, those that nobody would choose. He's, caught, he's selecting those, those that you remember in elementary school when you were picking sides for softball and there was always this one kid nobody wanted so he was the last one standing so finally the one team had to take him because he was the last choice those are the ones that God is selecting in this grace army to be the greatest displayers of love and mercy that this planet has ever seen he's revealing himself in all of his splendor and the, all, of, all of the discontented all of those that are burned out discouraged kicked to the curb they're seeing the Christ within. They're, they are the ones that are now getting this revelation within that has been hidden within them deep, that has been covered over by all of this rubbish, but it's now being made manifest. Let me assure you this morning, this grace tsunami, this grace reformation, this pouring out of unconditional love without religious condition that is coming up on all flesh that you were created for, he is using you, but he has brought you probably to the end of yourself now that his grace might be demonstrated as strong. You may not see it yet. You may, you may look at your life and you may, not, you may not see any evidence of it, but let me tell you, you have survived the mess that you were in for this season and the mess will become your message. <clears throat> That's good. Somebody ought to write that down at home. Go, go, go out in the kitchen and grab a little scratch pad and write that down. Your mess will become your message. You, you have been down. Maybe you have been down, but you're not out. 
Now again, let me remind you, maybe I'm not talking to you this morning, but you need to listen to this and let this message get deep because you're going to be dealing with a lot of people that this does fit. And rather than trying to call the pastor, the elder, or somebody else to, to, to help them, God has put the message and the love and the grace within you to be able to pull them out from their situation. This is your season. Don't be discouraged. Don't be worn out. Don't be perplexed. Don't be feeling abused. This, this, I'm speaking to you this morning. This is your time. Let me read something else David or, or, or Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me pick it up in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's, that's not a strong vessel. That's a mud pot. <laughs> He's saying we have this treasure in a mud pot, right? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's anybody that, that can boast about a mud pot. There's nobody that can boast about their earthen vessel. Or what that earthen vessel has gotten themselves into. And God designed it that way so that the excellency of the power would be of God and not of us. Now watch, watch what Paul said. See if you've come through this because this is the school of preparation that God brings us through. We're pressed on every side. Here comes grace, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Here comes grace, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted. Here comes the love of God, but we're not forsaken. Struck down, here comes mercy, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Do, do, do you get this? The, the, the revelation of us as the next move of God, it may not be evident, but it's coming. So how is God going to impact our world? How's he going to demonstrate his love? How's he going to extend his grace? How is he going to begin to pour out his mercy on all flesh? It's going to come through those of us that have experienced his love, that have experienced his grace, that have experienced his mercy for ourselves. So some of what, most of what you've come through, now let me strike that, all of what you've come through is a setup. It's a setup so that you can now be a clear channel and a clear vessel for what he is pouring into the earth. So don't look down on yourself. Don't feel bad about yourself. Stop putting yourself down. Stop listening to the words of other people that have not encouraged you. Because the Spirit of God today himself is encouraging you. That's what made Paul so effective. He experienced firsthand. Think about it. If there's ever a guy that had a label on himself that would have said God could never use him, it would have been Saul who persecuted the church, killed believers, imprisoned men, women, and children because they followed Jesus. All of a sudden he has an encounter and, he, and, and the whole script is flipped. If there's ever somebody that the, world, that the church world probably looked at and said, Paul, that Saul guy, he is a loser. God will never use him. He is too far spent. He's too far gone. He's a, he's a jihadist. He's a, he's a terrorist. God can't use him and he became you know why Paul was so great because he experienced the love the mercy and the grace of God in his life irregardless of what others said about himself or maybe he even felt about himself during those years he spent in the desert getting it all put together is there a hell is there a hell some of us this morning know there is because we've lived it we've lived in it some things through our own sometimes through our own choices we found ourselves in a mess. Sometimes it hasn't been our doing. But we suffered in its clutches. Let me, let me tell you this morning, the very gates of hell cannot stop grace. When grace himself 
crashed the gates of hell for three days and three nights, every captive came out. There isn't anything that you experience in life that grace cannot overcome. The one that has the keys, listen, the one that has the keys of death and hell has sprung every captive. And there are no captives this morning behind the gates. You are not held captive behind the gates of hell. I'm trying to get a point across this morning, and that is you don't have to pray and fast for the next move of God. You are the next move of God, even though you may not feel like it, look like it, be called it, or labeled it at this point. He has no other plan. You are the plan. The revelation of you and me, us, revelation of the digital cathedral as the next move of God is going to blow most of our minds that we are part of it. And I don't, want to, I don't want to make us feel like we're just this exclusive little club that gather on Sunday. We're part of something that is worldwide and big. But God is assembling us together. And God is impacting the lives of people through what we together are doing. And I'm reading a lot of the testimonies on Wednesday night of people that are communicating the change in their life that has taken place because you and I gather together. We come together on Wednesday. You make insightful comments and revelatory uh, 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 phrases on our Wednesday night. You, you, you comment below the videos on, on the teachings on Sunday. People are being impacted, and it's, it's blowing our minds because, honestly, we don't look like the superstars. We don't, we don't look like the ones that lead an entire revelation. The chief strategy of the enemy is to plant seeds in your mind that you have missed the will of God, you've missed the plan of God for your life, and because you have missed it so badly, now God has excluded you, he has set you aside, and there's nothing you can actually do. You're not part of the move of God in the earth today. So this morning, regardless of the mess, regardless of the mess you think that you have made, you're right on time, you're right on schedule, you're right at the right place at the right time, you're right in the sweet spot where God can use you the most. Let me just say it again for another time this morning. You can read the red from Matthew to John and you'll never find one person. I don't care who they were. You won't find one person no matter how messed up they are. You'll never find Jesus looking at them and, say, and saying, you have missed the will of God for your life. Now go have a seat over in the corner and Saul can be depressed and wait to die. He never said that to anybody. He never said it to Judas. Think about Judas. If Judas didn't do what Judas did, do you know all of prophecy wouldn't have been fulfilled? Let me just blow your mind this morning. What Judas did put him right in the center of God's will. <laughs> but after he did what he did, he bought a lie that he missed God and he went and hung himself. Now look at Peter. Peter Jesus never looked at Judas and said, Judas, you've missed the will of God for your life. He never said, Judas, you're so jacked up, you need to go hang yourself. End your life. Get out of here. He never looked at Peter after Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter heard the truth and eventually became what Paul said was a pillar of the church. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? I'll tell you the difference. Peter got a revelation that the grace of God was sufficient to bring him out of the mess he was in. And Judas thought that he, was gone, that he had gone too far and he was in fact a loser. So when I use that term this morning, I think you can see the depth of it. I don't like the term loser. Argued about putting it in the title, but it describes how some of us feel ourselves, how some of us have been looked upon by others, and we have assumed that identity of being a loser. 
So when you make a decision, when you make, when you make it, when you blow it, when you, when you really foul up, you got to make a decision in your mind. You made a bad choice, a decision. Then you have to make a choice on what you're going to do. And there's only one or two ways you can go. First of all, you either believe the voice in the enemy. You believe that voice in your head that tells you your life is now wasted. You're too far spent. You're messed up. It's over. You either believe that voice or number two, you believe the voice of change in your mind. That voice we call metanoia, the voice of, that says just change your mind, repent. And that div divinity itself has placed you right where you're at for such a time as this. You believe one of the two voices. Either you believe the voice that rises up from within that says you haven't blown it. Or you believe the voice in your head that says you have. Over the years, I tell you, I have, I have ministered to many, many people that have given up. Or they've settled for less than God's best because they bought the lie that they had missed God's will. And it was too late that his grace and his mercy had expired for them. That it can't reach me. All right, let me say it again for the third or the fourth time. Jesus never said to anybody, you have missed my will for your life. You're too messed up. You're too far spent. I cannot use you. The Spirit of God, I mean, the Holy Spirit, his whole business is to divinely direct our steps from wherever we're at this morning. Whatever jail cell you're in, whatever prison of your mind that you're in, to take you from wherever you're at to wherever you need to be. The lie is this. The lie is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but you missed a step. Therefore, God's hands off of you and you're on your own. That's the lie. Here's the sad part. And the part that the enemy uses to neutralize our life is we just go through the motions. Here's the lie the enemy uses. He puts within us the fear of missing God, God's one and only will for your life. And the fear that we'll never get back to where we should be. And so we spend all of our life in effort and sweat and toil and strife trying to get back to where we think we should be. The fear of the wrong turn is the belief that we have to settle. Listen, that somehow now we have to settle for God's second best. You went through a divorce. Okay, a lot of people go through a divorce. Now you're believing in your head that somehow that's affected God's will for your life and you can never achieve or attain what God had for you. Therefore, you need to settle for something less. No, that's the lie. The truth is this. Listen, the truth is this. Seeking and doing God's will is not a pass or fail proposition. It's not, it's, 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 it's not an exact science. We're not always going to get it right. Make up your mind to that. You know, I, I, I have a phone that has a, has a, a GPS built into it. It's an iPhone. And when I want to go someplace, you know what I do? I just come over here and I hit, I hit maps. And when I hit maps, I just type in the destination of where I want to go. And then I hit uh, start route. And then I hit go. And a voice comes on and tells me how to get step-by-step step from where I am to where I need to go. Now, I never had a GPS before. The first GPS that I had was, was, was actually my wife's SUV that, that we bought several years ago. And I was captivated by that, that, by that, by that uh, GPS because I would ju you just type in there, and then there's this voice that comes on and tells you how to get to your destination, right? I mean, step-by-step, step, you, 
You can't miss. Now, if you, if you go down the road, there have been a couple of times I thought I knew better than the GPS, right? So I would, I would follow the directions I had, had in my mind, the direction I wanted to go, the direction I thought was best. But you know what would happen? Sometimes I didn't know there was a traffic jam or an accident that the GPS knew, and I would find myself fouled up, and the GPS would then reroute me to the fastest route to get to where I wanted to go. The GPS had the ability to verbally tell me and direct me to get me to my destination. Even if I made a wrong turn, I've made a wrong turn, and the GPS will tell you, go down 900 feet and make a U-turn. It will get you to where you need to go, even if you make a wrong turn. Now, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says this. <clears throat> Every person that God foreknew, he predestined. He foreknew all of us. So nobody slipped through the cracks. One of my favorite thoughts, revelations I ever got was that God knew all of us would be here. God never did a face palm one day and said, Bobby Joe, I, did, I can't believe you're on the planet. How did you get there? I didn't know you'd be there. He foreknew all of us. And he says, every person that he foreknew, he predestined. A better word than predestined is pre-wired. He pre-wired you. He put a GPS on the inside of you. And that GPS is going to take you step by step through all of your ups and downs, your misses, your hits in life. And it's going to take you to a place, the destination of being, and the end of the verse says, being conformed to the image of his son. Every person that God foreknew, which is all of us, every person watching today on the digital cathedral, every person watching this video for years to come, God foreknew you. And he pre-wired you and he set a destination in you ahead of time and it was to be conformed to the image of his son, man. No matter if you make wrong turns, the spirit of truth that is within you will tell you, make a U-turn. It will tell you how to get back on track. Now I've learned over the years to trust that GPS pretty much. I've learned to listen to the voice that comes on. And all I have to do, once I have that, that, that GPS destination set and I'm listening to the voice, you know what I have to do then? I just sit back in the seat and relax and enjoy the trip. Every Bible hero missed it. I, pick one that lived a perfect life other than Jesus. And even Jesus learned obedience, listen, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. I don't want to wreck your theology, but I have a feeling that for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus made some mistakes. <laughs> he disobeyed his parents. We know that when he was 12. I mean, the end result was good. He's back at the temple. He's conversing with the experts. Okay, that's all fine and dandy, but you know what? He didn't do what mom and daddy told him to do. He missed it. Now, they recovered him and, and, and everything worked out. But I, I'm just trying to tell you, there's not one person in Scripture, and most of them were extremely serious in how they missed it and the, and the mess that they got themselves in. What I want to do for the time that I got left is I just want to point out three from Scripture, three biggies. And I want you to look at their lives and how they missed and how the GPS, the spirit of truth, that you have within you that navigates your life that will take you to your pre-wired destination of being conformed to the image of God's Son. How it will get you there in spite of your choices. 
I want to look first at Moses in Exodus chapter 2. Let's go way back to the, to the start of the book. Look at, look at Moses. And we're going to look at how he missed and what God did to get him back on track. Exodus chapter 2. And let me go with verse 11 down through 15. Verse 11, Exodus chapter 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at the burdens and he saw the Egyptians beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So he looked that this way and he looked that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Bad choice. Wrong decision. Verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one to the other, who did the wrong? Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, then they said, who, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian, Moses? You're a loser. So Moses feared. He took the identity. He took the charge on himself and said, surely this thing is known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by the well. <clears throat> All right, one, one, one last, one, uh, one comment here. Let, well, may, let me make a couple of comments. In his, in his heart, Moses wanted to help his people. Right? So, so we, got, we got a guy here that was trying to do the right thing. But he got ahead of God's plan and he didn't wait for the details. It was in Moses' heart to deliver the underdogs. The seed of the deliverer was planted in Moses as part of his pre-wiring by God. But Moses made a bad choice, made a bad decision. He didn't rest, trust, and believe. And whenever you don't rest, trust, and believe, it leads to poor choices. So Moses' poor choice of killing someone that was in the wrong, listen, it put Moses on the run for 40 years. <laughs> I don't care what poor choice you made this morning. I doubt if you have been on the run for 40 years. So Moses ran for 40 years until God activated his grace in the life of Moses in the middle of that bad choice. I, I'm sure during that 40 years, Moses beat himself silly. All that he gave up, all that he missed. God, why did you, why did you put this in my heart to deliver my people? Why, why, have, you, why have you been speaking to me? Why, why, why was it I wanted to help that, that poor Israelite? What, what is going on? I'm so confused. I'm so messed up. I guess, I, I, you know, I know that I, I'm the adopted kid of Pharaoh. I'm not really his child. My mom abandoned me. I mean, we could go on and on and on with the mess that Moses could have felt like he got himself into. The point is this. God activated his grace in the life of Moses and talked to him out of a burning bush. And Moses fulfilled the will of God for his life. He became the deliverer that God pre-wired him to become and he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? So we find, first, first of all, poor choices come because we get anxious, we get ahead of God, we don't rest, we don't trust, we don't believe, we don't wait for timing. We want to help God. We can go over and look at Abraham. He did the same thing. God promised him. 
And Abraham tried to fulfill it in the flesh, made bad choices, bad decisions, and Ishmael was the result. Oh, we've got Ishmael's in our life, all right, but that's not the end of the story. Moses, or Abraham, did become the father of faith. All right, so Moses is number one. And I just wanted you to see the illustration. Now, sometimes bad choices cause us to be on the run or feel like we've missed God on the backside of the desert, tending stinky, smelly sheep for 40 years. But God still fulfilled his plan in the life of Moses. I want to look at another one, Jonah. Jonah is, is, is kind of the opposite end of the scale from, uh, from, from Moses. And, and I, want to, I want to look at, at Moses for just, uh, or for, at Jonah here for just a second. Let me get right over here to where I need to be. Jonah chapter 1, and let me read verses 1 to 3. All right. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. All right, so God's already spoken to Jonah one time. The word of God comes to Jonah the second time and says this, Arise and go to Nineveh, this great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you to preach. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. All right, so God comes to, 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 to Jonah. He knows what God says. He says, I want you to go down to Nineveh. So he goes, he goes down to, to Nineveh, and then I want to pick it up in verse 17. Verse 17. Chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish. You remember what, what Jonah did? So jo Jonah said, you know what, I, 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 I'm not going down there. In verse 17 of chapter 1, Jonah said, I'm not going that way. In chapter, in chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to, to Jonah the son of Abnatil, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come. Jonah rose, and he didn't go to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish, Right? He went to Tarshish from the presence of, of God. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, got on the boat. Then we pick it up in chapter, uh, chapter uh, toward the end where it says that uh, he didn't obey God. So God prepared in verse 10 of chapter 2, God pre prepared a great fish. And the fish swallowed Jonah. All right, so here, here we got Jonah. Here's what I want you to see about Jonah. Jonah knew what God said to do. All right. There are times in our life that God speaks to us like Jonah. He gives us a direction, gives us, tells us exactly what to do. We don't do it. God says, go to Nineveh, we go to Tarshish. So what does God do? God prepares a circumstance, a great fish, and this great fish swallows us. Now, I bet those three days and three nights that Jonah spent in that fish, I bet he... I bet he wondered what, what he got himself into, right? So sometimes you know the will of God. This is different than Moses. Jonah knew the will of God. He knew it with no question. He purposely disobeyed. When you purposely disobey, it leads to bad choices. His bad choice, however, activated God's grace in the belly of that fish. And in chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah 
It must have got close to shore because it says it vomited him on dry land. Now, when you know the will of God, know the plan of God, you knowingly disobey, you find yourself in a bad situation, the grace of God is activated. In Jonah's case, the fish spit him out. Then we pick it up in, in chapter 3 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, go to Nineveh. So guess what Jonah did? He went to Nineveh and he did exactly what God told him to do. So where sin abounds, Paul said, where sin abounds, grace super exceeds. Jonah fulfilled the plan, the mission of God for which he was pre-wired, which was go to Nineveh. So let me, let me just assure you this morning. All right, I'm, I'm speaking to some of you today that have purposely missed the will of God because you wanted to. You disobeyed. And now you're in a mess. <laughs> you're in a mess because you willingly disobeyed. And you're going, man, I, there's no way out of this. I have made such a mess. I'm in the belly of the fish. Well, that's a bad place to be. We've all been in the belly of the fish. It's a bad place to be. Let me show you the belly of the fish is where the grace is activated. Now, what, one last one, and it's John. John, the cousin of Jesus. And I'm not going to read the scripture because I'm, I'm running out of time this morning. Here's the deal. John traveled with Jesus, saw the works of Jesus. And John the Baptist at one point, the cousin of Jesus, finds himself in prison. And he can't believe Jesus let him go to jail. And, and so he has lived out the will of God. And all of a sudden he finds himself abandoned and he begins to question his faith. So what do we have here? We have John the Baptist who lived a good life. He's the guy that looked at Jesus pointing the finger and had the revelation. There's the Lamb of God, man. He takes away the sin of the world. The guy dotted all his I's, crossed all his T's, and still circumstances came into his life. And he found himself in jail. He felt himself abandoned. He was living in God's will, but he felt like Jesus had forgotten him. God's will sometimes takes us through transitions that are not easy and they create doubt in our mind and bad choices. John's bad choice was to doubt and he said to one of his disciples, go and ask Jesus, did I make a mistake? Are you really the guy? Are you for real, Jesus? Because if you're for real, you wouldn't have let me get into this. You wouldn't have allowed this to come into my life. You ever feel like that? I've lived the best I can live. I've done everything that I know to do and I still find myself in a mess. So maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was. <laughs> let me say, let me just encourage you this morning if that's been your situation. I've been there a time or two. I've said, God, I've obeyed you. I've, I've done the message. I've done the teaching. I've followed the revelation. Now look how I'm getting myself beat about the head and shoulders with a board. Figuratively, not literally. When God, when God moves, you shift with him. Don't question it. Shift with him. He hasn't left your side. He hasn't abandoned in you. He's taking you through where you need to go. So don't make the bad choice of questioning his goodness. 
It's the goodness of God that will bring you to the destination. All right, so I just gave you three illustrations. I gave you Moses that knew in his heart what God wanted him to do, but he got ahead of God's plan, made bad choices, and it, it took 40 years to get him back where he needed to be, but God got him there. I gave you the illustration of Jonah that knew God's will, knowingly disobeyed, but God activated his grace in the, in the belly of the fish and got Jonah to where he needed to be, where he was pre-wired to fulfill. I showed you John that did everything that he could, but he made bad choices and said, go ask Jesus. I doubt whether Jesus is who he said he was. So no matter where you're coming from in life, bad choices activates the grace of God. Every Bible character, great or small, made bad choices. And in full force of those choices, the grace of God, the love of God, the goodness of God was activated. It's like God has this grace net and he spreads it underneath us. I love this. He spreads it underneath us. Sometimes we make a misstep. Sometimes we make a wrong turn, a wrong decision. And that great, we need to understand that that grace net is under us so that no matter what turn we make, no matter if we think we have fallen off the edge, that grace net catches us. The grace net is under you, and, and, and I'm assuring you that this morning. The grace net is under you so that you can live fearlessly and boldly. You don't have to fear making bad decisions or wrong calls. The grace net will catch you. It's kind of like the lady in the, in the circus that flies on the flying trapeze high, and she just so confidently swings from one trapeze and jumps and catches the other, and turns around and swings back that way. You know why she's so confident? Because there's a net under her. And if she misses the trapeze, the net will catch her so she can act boldly and with confidence to do what she needs to do. God's grace is given to you and spreads under you as a net so that you can be bold as a lion knowing that it's impossible. It's literally impossible. I'm telling you it's impossible for you to miss the will of God. So let me just shoot you straight this morning. Do you feel like you've missed God's plan in your life? Don't panic. Don't get in a funk. Don't lay down and quit. Don't run away. There's a grace net that's under you this morning. He's already restored you. He's already turned your Holy Spirit GPS on. And he's already hit the home button. God has already programmed into your life every misstep, every bad decision, every bad choice. He's built it into your life and his system will make the corrections that need to be made en route to your destination. I want to assure you today, you've done nothing to derail God's plan. You've not made a poor choice. You haven't jumped ahead. You haven't been too disobedient. There are no deal breakers to God that can mess your life up if you let the grace GPS take you where it needs to go. He has grace for you. He has grace for every person that we would look at, that the world would look at and say, there's a loser. God's grace is more than sufficient. You know, on my phone, I've got a little setting that, that, that says home. And on my, on my phone GPS, no matter where I'm at, I'm, if we're in Florida on vacation, I've, I, if I hit that home button, all of a sudden the map will come up and the directions will take me right back to 19 Crestgate in Houston, Texas. No matter where you're at this morning, God has a home setting. And he has a GPS, the spirit of truth that lives within you. And the spirit of truth will take you back 
to wherever you need to be taken to get you back on the highway, to get you to the destination that he has pre-wired you to fulfill in your life. Grace is for all. You haven't gone too far. Jesus never said to one person, you have missed my will for your life. It's too late. Be encouraged this morning. Receive it all. Drink it in and be ready to dispense it to those that you encounter that need that encouraging word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night and next Sunday morning back at the Digital Cathedral. Have an awesome Jesus-filled week. And we'll see you next time.